Hello and welcome back to the Thundersticks Podcast. I am your host, Ben Kreider, and today I'm going to be giving you all recaps of the Thunder Bucks game as well as the OKC Blue Lakeland Magic game. And I'm going to do this recap episode a little bit different than usual. Normally what I do is I give you all like a 10 to 15 minute summary of every single quarter I'm just going to go straight to the good stuff right here in this one. And with the Lakeland Blue game, maybe I'll go back to the other one, but we'll just have to see in this episode, though. But anyways, OKC versus Milwaukee. Both teams were super-duper ice cold. Milwaukee had lost five straight. The OKC Thunder, they lost four out of their last five, and their only victory in that span was against the Milwaukee Bucks of all teams. Milwaukee Bucks, they got the revenge in this one, ended up defeating the OKC Thunder by a margin of 13 points. They took it 98-85, to one of the lowest scoring games probably of the entire season. I didn't check how far it ranked, but this was not filled with like much offense whatsoever. OKC, they only shot 37% from the field. That is pretty bad in a basketball game. From three, that's really good, but you should not be shooting around there from two. I mean, they shot 30% from three, so, I mean, that's that's okay, but you just cannot make any excuses for 37% all around. Milwaukee, they didn't shoot that better, though. They shot 41% on the game and 32% from downtown. So, you didn't get much offense. However, the Milwaukee Bucks, they had a big advantage in the rebound category. They are rebounded the Thunder 70-53 to in this game, as well as getting three more offensive rebounds to their name. So, that may have ended up helping them a ton and getting some extra points. And it may have led to even more assists, too, because they also won that competition 23-20. to On the bright side, the Thunder kept their... 20 assist streak alive I think it's at 9 or 10 now maybe that little goal or that accolade is not that high because they only had 85 points and you know you're still ending up hitting the 20 assist mark I wonder how many they got in the game that they snapped it to be quite honest with you they were passing a lot though to get their shots so that's something you can take away 65% of their shots ended up coming assisted so hey you end up taking that. The Thunder were not that active inside. The Bucks were just employing so much defense inside. Kind of kind of caught everyone off guard, to be quite honest with you. I'd say SGA in particular, he had a pretty rough going of things. He shot just 3 of 12. But in general, team only had 30 points in the paint. Milwaukee, they had 38. That's not good either. But yeah, just not a lot of stuff could be working from there. And that's why they had to go to three, the three-point line, and weren't making much. They almost shot 50% of their shots from beyond the arc anyways. I will say something that did kind of hurt the Thunder was fouls. They had 23 fouls to the Bucks, 18. And, I mean, you just can't be allowing that, especially when you're going up against someone like Giannis Adenokounmpo. He's going to get fouls pretty much every time he goes inside to the basket. And they fell victim to that in this game. He had 10 free throws. And even some of his sidekicks and Chris Middleton got up to the line a lot. He had 7 attempts at the free throw line. So 
simply cannot be doing that expecting to beat one of the best in the Eastern Conference. They had a pretty good comeback though. I mean, they were down as much as 23 in the game and they were able to fight back until pretty much the finish to try to take it away. Fell up a little short though. I will say, just with everything that they were dealing with in the game, I'd say it was an okay performance. I'd say with SGA, he was pretty much being double teamed or triple teamed every single time he wanted to step inside the three-point arc. So it was a bit of a troubling task with him. And when you have guys like Bobby Portis and Giannis inside who are great rim protectors, it will create problems. And he kept getting trapped, swarmed, was nothing that he could really do about it. Even when he tried kicking it out, seemed like the Bucks were all over it. So a lot of the shot selection that we saw from the team was not that great. I will say, though, I was pretty impressed with guys like Isaiah Roby. He had two threes made on the night, two of three, ended up getting 10 points and seven rebounds on the game. He was even doing really a really good job assisting the ball as well. I mean, he had two assists, and these were, I mean, not easy passes to be making. And even when it came down to making his own shot, he had like a beautiful step back three at the right wing that freed him up perfectly for a shot. So didn't see much of that from him. He's not really seen as much of a shot creator, but he definitely can do it. Really happy to see Roby try to step out of the boundaries a little bit in this game. Lou Dort, he had 17 points on the game. He actually led the Thunder in scoring. If you're wondering how many SGA had, he only had 14. But Dort, it wasn't on a crazy efficient percentage at all. 6 of 16, so just 38%. 3 of 7 from downtown. A lot of just penetrations. That's where everyone has kind of seemed to be getting their buckets. Had 3 free throws as well. I mean, we have seen the amount of those he's been taking just rising on the up and up. So this was a bit of a down game. He has had a stretch of games where he's been shooting around five to nine. So the Bucks were able to bottle him up and make him at least a little bit uncomfortable there. Darius Baisley also was pretty uncomfortable too. Two of seven for six points. Both of his made shots were from three, two of two from downtown and 0 of 5 on the 2. So that even stresses the kind of importance that the Bucks were addressing inside to kind of just give out a risk on the perimeter. Baisley made them pay, but he didn't play enough or have enough sample size for it to mean much. He only played 20 minutes and sure he hit, you know, a pair of them, but you, you need to feed him more if he's going to be a big option from outside i'm a little bit disappointed in guys like maladone and mike muscala i mean maladone and muscala were piping hot in the last game against the memphis grizzlies weren't really shooting that well from deep just one of ten combined maladone was the guy who hit the lone three he was one of four and muscala was zero of six i think both of them had clear shots at the basket just did not get it to go they need to look to Improve on that in the next game. I, I'm really not much of an explanation for it, to be quite honest with you. But yeah, that is something that Mark Dagnalt should probably take into account. And I mean, these guys, they're professional. They're going to bounce back. Just need to take it on a day-by-day -day basis and, you know, get back to work. Keep your head up there. 
Hamadou Diallo, he had double digits, 10 points on 4 of 10 shooting. He got to the line a ton, but he is back in this major free throw line funk. I don't know what it is. 2 of 8 on the game. He was, at a time this month, not missing at the line at all. I think he was, like, perfect at, at some point here. And now he's kind of falling back down. I mean, had a big high note. I think before he had a major improvements, he was sitting around the 56% mark. Now he's going back to 25%, maybe trying to even it back out. They don't want him reaching that 60% free throw percentage on the year. So I don't know what is going on right there. And Al Horford, he also had a bit of a tough time trying to make some of his most consistent shots. He was just two of nine from three. And those were pretty much all coming off of the pick and pop he went two of five on the inside but not a lot there he only got 10 points so the bucks they were very well disciplined in making sure that the thunder couldn't really get bailed out at the free throw line and even when they did get to the free throw line they weren't making a lot i mean diallo has a lot to do with it he was he, he was actually credited for six of the 10 free throws that they missed they still shot just 11 of 21, so 52% from the free throw line. If you make all those, you make it a lot more of a tight contest. Doesn't change things because they would still be up three, but just a little bit of a hypothetical. Think if there's anything to take away, it should probably be looking at how they did on the free throw line. Also, I mean, just containing Giannis. Giannis, he went off 29 points and 19 rebounds to go along with eight assists looked like pure MVP form against the Oklahoma City Thunder and he was just driving in at will and they were still able to find a variety of other guys to collect shots here I mean Chris Middleton I didn't really see him as a major threat in the uh, first game that they played this month he pricked a lot of clutch time shots was not a problem here 20 points on seven of 18 shooting and they even had some more role players doing a uh, pretty solid job here. Bryn Forbes, he had a slow start in uh, last the last game. And then he kind of picked things back up. Shot 3 of 8 on the night. But 2 of 5 from 3 is really what you need to take away from it. So he got his 10 points there. And DJ Augustine came out of the woodworks for 11 points and 5 assists. Got his shots off. Pretty nice uh, efficiency on 4 of 8, 3 of 7 from deep. Very surprising. And I was talking um, during the game, and the person I was with, he, he kind of mentioned, like, you know, there's all these great Thunder guys that have just gone through the system. And I told him, like, if you really think DJ Augustine is one of the greater players to come through this Thunder system, you're out of your mind. DJ Augustine is a great backup point guard but come on now if you think of great thunder players or ex thunder players are you really thinking of dj augustine like who else would be on your mind are you thinking of like cole aldridge or something i don't even know to be quite honest with you augustine's good but you don't put him in a in a category like that that's reserved for some players that i have a lot stronger emotions um than than that of dj and honestly i would rather not talk about those other players because it would probably make me feel pretty upset but anyways 
that was just something a little bit funny that I heard throughout the game. Thunder, I mean, they're going to have their next shot to try to uh, to get a victory here. Clearly, they're in a uh, kind of rough spot on the season. As a fan, though, you just got to look on to the next game. You can't really be all too upset with them. They play against the Cleveland Cavaliers on Sunday at 6. So maybe that's one you can win. However, I mean, should you be all that upset that the Thunder are losing right now? I don't know. They are dropping down in the standings yet again, and they are in the bottom five uh, teams in the entire league right now when it comes to standings. And you have the Houston Rockets literally right behind them. Not to mention also Miami Heat. They're in the back of the lottery. They're kind of making some nice moves to get back into the play-in or playoff spots. I don't know exactly where they will land, but, you know, maybe there might be a solid one-two punch with this Houston and OKC pick going on. We don't know exactly what the Rockets' intentions are. They uh, they actually got a DeMarcus Cousins' deal guaranteed yesterday. Um, yeah, yeah, it'd be yesterday as I'm doing this, so... They guaranteed it. I don't know if that means he's in for the long haul or or what could be going on there. We'll have to see on that, though. They got Christian Wood out for an extended period of time. There's not a timetable listed. So I'd expect them to be losing a solid amount of games here. And you don't know what happens at the trade deadline. So you have a big asset in that. And the Thunder control their own fate here. And if they continue to kind of be having some rough moments, they may... Keep falling and get some more ping pong paws for the future. Moving right along, though, to the OKC Blue game. They took on the Lakeland Magic yesterday, and this was a pretty close contest. Going into this, I uh, I fully expected Chasson Randall, who played the first two games of the OKC Blue, to kind of reunite it didn't end up happening, though, because he is on the full-time Orlando Magic roster. They need point guards and shooting guards that bad, so they brought him up. I mean, he's 28 years old, so you can't be all too surprised. They just need a veteran guy, and that's about the cheapest deal you can get right there with a two-way. Pretty much going to be playing the entire season with them until, you know, unless some, for whatever reason... Someone gets all healed up and he can drop back down, but he probably will be with the team for the rest of the season. Good on him. Didn't have to uh, deal with him, though. Thunder actually got Alexei Pokachevsky back in the game. He was not there in the previous game against the Memphis Hustle. So, thought you'd have a little bit of advantage right there, and, you know, they did. Barely. Barely. They ended up winning 115 to 113. And OKC, or at least the OKC Blue, they keep having these really strong performances early on in the game. They had an 11-4 run to start out the contest, and they were up 19 points through the first 12 minutes. 39-18, to and the points were coming from everywhere on a very high clip. 70% of their shots went in in their game, at least first quarter-wise. And they had 11 points in transition, 22 points coming off in the paint and 15 points coming off made threes so you got a bunch a little bit of those points in the paint in transition all together but yeah they could not miss and the points were coming from everywhere lakeland could not adjust to one of those honestly you know expand to three and it's kind of a lost cause right there so 
they looked really, really strong, and they kept on building from downtown to begin the second quarter. They had a lead as big as 25 because shooting guard Rob Edwards was on fire. He hit two three-pointers in the first quarter, and in the second quarter, he hit two more in the first two minutes. He looked like Steph Curry just pulling up. He didn't need someone to set it up for him. He didn't need a catch-and-shoot. He just strolled up the court, pops it right in the dude's face. Splash. Cannot miss with him. He has looked so, so good. But there was still another 24 minutes to be played. And, you know, they had this 25-point lead. Got dropped down to 16 at halftime. They're up 68-52. to 52. Still, that's not too bad. However, Lakeland, they had a chance to get back in. And they absolutely did. OKC, they started 3 of 13 to start the third quarter. And it's because they were trying to force things inside. And Lakeland, they had a pretty different roster compared to those of the past. As I said in the last podcast, they had John Teske, who is seven foot one on the other end there. So that should create some sort of issues for the team. And it did. Lakeland, I mean, they end up strolling in and taking a 16-8 run to cut the hole to just eight points. But... Blue got hot right when they needed to, and they finished the quarter on a 15-9 run. They were up 14 to enter the fourth quarter, so seemed like the Magic lost their chance there, but they still had a little bit of kind of spells that they could trickle in there to try to help out their cause, and that they did because the Blue, they took out their starters for a good chunk of the fourth quarter. Blakeland, they were going right at it. So they had the best of the best trying to go through and play the bench guys for most of the time. And it worked because with four minutes to go, the Magic only were down five. And because of that, Coach Gibbs, he needed to get his starters in right then and right there. The only starter who was not in was Alexei Pokachevsky. Pokachevsky didn't play much. I'll talk about his performance, but Gibbs did not want him on the court. He was chilling out on the sidelines. Melvin Fraser Jr. was the bench man who got upgraded for, you know, clutch time minutes here. So that's what you're kind of looking at. And both sides were just on fire. Everyone was kind of taking every single chance that they could. And it looked like the Blue were going to win this quite easily with like a minute left because they were up two possessions. The Magic kind of hit a little, like they hit a little bit of a cold spell. And, you know, if you get one more bucket or just drain the clock, shouldn't be a victory for you. However, Ty Jerome pushed off whenever he had the ball in his hands. He was doing really well leading into the final minute. But, yeah, he tried driving in. He pushed off. A little bit of a tacky call, but blew the whistle anyways. I think both sides were getting some pretty iffy calls on really offense and defense. I think the officiating was a little bit wacky there, but... He gets the offensive foul. Lakeland comes out on the other end and scores. Then again, you got Ty Jerome trying to work around screens. Moses Brown sets an illegal screen, so Lakeland gets it back again to tie the game. And they didn't let anything go to waste. As I said, I mean, they always had these tiny chances at having a shot, and they kept doing it. So... They got the ball into Devin Kennedy's hands. He was hitting threes. I think he had 17 points 
on the entire night, but he was just working around screens. He was in the right corner, and then he had a screen set for him, ended up going right around that, found himself at the right wing with a little bit of room, pulls up on the moving shot 26 feet back, and he drills it. Just seven seconds remaining, and the game is tied at 113 to 113. Gibbs didn't want to call a timeout. So, you know, the the Magic, they were all celebrating. I mean, you got the center, and you got Kennedy kind of just jumping up for joy, like, oh my gosh, let's get ready for overtime. They were not expecting the game to just keep moving. So the ball gets quickly inbounded to Ty Jerome. He is on the right side, just sprints down the court, and... I mean, by that time, it was kind of like a three... There were only like three Lakeland guys back, and there was an advantage here because they wanted to stay on their man. They don't want Jerome kicking it out. So he had actually kind of found a lane inside. So he cut in, and that's when guys like Kennedy swiveled in. He ended up having to shoot a floater on two guys, but he contorted his body, levitated for like a second, I would say, and got it off just in time. Ended up hitting the back of the iron. But it had a sweet touch to it. It ended up going in with 0.2 seconds to go. That is essentially it. Only way Lakeland were going to put this in overtime was if they threw up a lob and someone just barely tapped it in. You can't grab it and shoot it in 0.2 seconds. You need 0.3. And even that may be pushing it at times. So... Lakeland, they tried heaving it up in desperation. It's a no-go. The OKC Blue barely won. They advanced to 5-1 on the season. That is one of the best records in the league right now. There's only one undefeated squad left, and that is the Delaware Bluecoats. Outside of that, just a couple teams sitting at 5-1. So they're looking at the top of the standings, looking to make some noise in the postseason here a lot of different guys chipping in I mean it's always been players such as Antonius Cleveland and Moses Brown being the one and two and even off the bench yurt seven Antonius Cleveland and yurt seven didn't even have that big of games Antonius Cleveland didn't have double digits I think it's probably the first time that's happened this season for him and yurt seven was not all that wondrous as well got the guard play necessary from Ty Jerome to get you over the hump. So, best game he has had with the team so far was the ultimate hero. He had nine points in the fourth, including the crazy game winner that he had. I don't even think I described it well enough, but, you know, me sitting down watching that, I, I kind of got really, really hyped about it because he took over. And it's very surprising because the way he has played, it's so, like, unorthodox, and it's not a bad thing. But since he plays kind of so slow at the one, you kind of wonder like how he's able to get good looks and all that because defenses, I mean, at least generally, you know, they're very aware. They are very, very quick laterally, everything. You got to be insanely fast at the point guard position in order to create open looks. But Ty Jerome, he just needed Moses Brown screens and he did the rest for you. He was great when it came to runners and floaters, as you saw with the final shot in the game and he also was able to attack to get to the line and when free throws can be two or three points in the g league you know get up for a shooting foul you just got one try at it 
knock it down. You get yourself two points right there. So that's really what he was doing. Ended up getting 20 points on 7 of 12 shooting. But he also got three assists to his name whenever the Magic kind of were playing hard on him. I think really what I'd chalk it up to, as I said, is the play. Maybe just being so slow, kind of like the Kyle Anderson that you see in the NBA. I mean, Anderson, he smoked us when we played the Grizzlies this week. The Lakewood Magic, they were kind of antsy as soon as they saw a chance to make a comeback. And everyone on the Thunder, or Blue, my bad, geez, they were trying to match that. They wanted to match that, and that's how they kind of got off the wires and the Magic were making a push. Jerome's the exception who stayed slow the entire way through, being very precise on every movement, and it completely worked. Moses Brown, he was very efficient, even though he had John Teske on him. Only getting that set, oh, that one inch, yeah, only that one inch height advantage, but you wouldn't even know by the stat line that there was a dude seven foot one trying to defend him. He shot 12 of 14 on the game for 24 points, and the only spot that he kind of struggled in was the rebounds. Teske, he had seven. Brown, he had 10, and that's still a gigantic number, but the seismic stats we have seen from him on the glass really just overmass overpower just 10 you know he's been averaging like 15 to this point so it's kind of crazy see him barely get the double double he still ends up getting it though he was just beasting down low and whenever he gets feeds from guards you know he just has to rise up and slam it down with two hands maybe just flop it right back up it's really too easy for moses brown Rob Edwards, it's looked too easy for him too. As I've said, just an absolute sniper from deep range. He had 17 points and 5 rebounds on just 22 minutes. He was just unconscious from 3. And I, I'm serious. Like, I think NBA, NBA teams need to look at him. If I were to say, oh, OKC needs to pick up this guy with a two-way contract, I'd have Rob Edwards on either the 1 or 2 position, to be quite honest with you. He is... Just looks so great. There's definitely some perimeter potential with him. And it's not even potential. He just keeps showing it. Five of seven on threes. And as I said, it didn't need to be set up for him to cook. If there's anyone that I want you to look up, it's got to be Rob Edwards. Because I think he could be a special just shooter off the bench for our squad. Um, We don't really have that amazing three-point shooter at the two right now. We got Dort. And we got um, Hamadou Diallo. I guess you could say, you know, Dort right now, he's not playing at the two. I'd say maybe that's his natural position, though. And Maladon at the two, he's been great. George Hill's probably not going to be here for the long run. If you need a sharpshooter right now, I'd say you'd pick up Rob Edwards. There's some more all-around guys who'd probably fit our mold, but there's got to be some team out there who needs perimeter shooting. Look at Rob Edwards as a good building block for you. Melvin Frazier Jr. is also a nice building block. Hype him up a lot. He had 12 points. Wasn't really shooting it all that well, but he wanted to go inside, so he had a lot of free throws. And same case with Jerome. I mean, when you're going up there, you only got one shot, and he made them count. Xavier Simpson, he also is going inside. He wasn't drawing free throws. He was just doing his typical shots. He has his signature post hook. He went up like four times with this, and 
got stuffed about twice, but you know he got he got it to go a little bit. So he was cooking up. Alexei Pokachevsky, though, I mean he has seen better days, you guys. It has not been the best, you know, experience I'd say for him being in uh, the G League bubble. But he's just got to work through it. And he had games like this in the NBA where he just couldn't catch a bucket for anything. He shot just 2 of 8, and he only played 17 minutes. I will say, though, this was probably his best rebounding performance so far, just based off the time played. He scrapped together 10, just on 17. So if he played his usual 30, he would have got 15 for you. Actually, you know what? Yeah, I'm just going to go with that. Probably mathematically, it might be a little bit, might be a little short of that, but I'm just going to say he'd get 15, because why not? Seven feet tall, seven foot three wingspan. You think John Teske is going to match up with him? Hell no, he's not. Get Pokachevsky 15 rebounds for the fun of it. And he even got four assists. He had some turnovers in there too, but that's just going to continue to happen. I mean, it's it's something that he's going to need to develop. He's been struggling, but he's a project. I think someone mentioned like Cade Cunningham is older than him. And as I've said on here, Jalen Green's only younger by like a month and a half. So... It's, I'm not too worried about it. Just keep fixing on your game, and we'll see how he looks whenever he returns to the Thunder. We'll say, though, these passes that he makes, whenever they're not turnovers, that is, they're pretty slick. I mean, he has a great awareness of everyone on the floor, believe it or not, and if he's able to draw out two defenders to like the corner or something, he's able to just float it right over both of them, and there's a wide-open basket right down low and across the court he knows exactly what's going on as well and that's something that really I've seen from this entire blue squad I'd probably say the best passer has been Xavier Simpson but I mean there's still other pieces who can do the exact same thing for you when it comes to being able to read what is going on and making great calls Ty Jerome is just like that too he just looked like more of a scorer to be quite honest with you there's times where he does look like a true point guard but Maybe we'll see more of that. Truthfully, though, I want to see him trying to be uh, playing more ferocious inside. He's been doing it a little bit here and there. Whenever he tries to work to the three-point line, it has not worked. Just keep going inside. And the only kind of thing that would go against my statement right there is, obviously, you know, if you're going in on centers who are letting Moses Brown collect 20 rebounds a game, you're probably not going to be able to have this much success when you transfer over. I get it. Maybe you want to look towards more perimeter shooting, but just give him more reps. I mean, he has been dealing with uh, with some injuries here, so just keep him up on working, and then you can bring him back to the three-point line, and hey, maybe he'll go off from 3-1 of these times again because that's what he's been known for leading up to this point. Now he wants to work inside. Give you the best of both worlds maybe there. But the OKC Blue, they are going to be playing their next game against the Rio Grande Valley Vipers. They are 3-4. and four. It's going to be on Sunday, and it's going to be on in probably the early hours here. You guys are going to be able to watch this one on Twitch, actually. This is one of two games that will be on Twitch, so there is no need to get ESPN Plus to watch this game. Maybe this is one that you guys would be able to to tune into it is going to be on at 10 30 central time so a bit of an early one but hey start off your sunday 
potentially with a high note here and with another blue win and a Delaware Bluecoats loss, OKC, they could be tied for first in the entire league right now. So a lot is on the line. I'm really happy and excited to see what happens. Same goes for the OKC Thunder. I will be here to tell you all about it in the next coming days, next podcast. I'll try to get you in on all the news. But other than that, guys, that is going to wrap up today's podcast. I thank you all for listening, and I'll talk to you all next time. See ya.